As uh, the kids get ready to go to class, I have the honor of introducing our speaker this morning. Uh, so Chad, if you want to make your way up here. You know, the first time I met Chad, I couldn't help but like him. Uh, there's this uh, thing going on in Taylor University. There's actually, for a while, there were two Taylor Universities. There's Taylor and then Taylor Fort Wayne. As I tell everyone, the smart people went to Taylor Fort Wayne. Those other people that couldn't get into Taylor Fort Wayne went to the other Taylor. Now, we both know that's not true, but um, so I have a special affinity for Chad just for that one thing. We've been excited about Chad being able to come and preach, um, use his gift that he has. I know that he's done this at a number of other churches, and for the last year and a half, him and his family have been attending True North, and we're excited about what he has to say. So I'm going to hand the mic over. Actually, I don't need to hand the mic over. I'm kind of a nervous Nelly when it comes to microphones. I just want to say that um, I'm honored that uh, it's not, you shouldn't be honored to introduce me. I'm no one special, but it's, I'm going to feel honored that Rex asked me to fill in for, for him today to give him a break. You know, you are his, we are his flock. And uh, I grew up on a farm, you know, we had livestock, and, and sometimes you have to take vacation and you have to rely on someone to feed your animals and take care of your animals just as, as you would because they're, they're very important to you. And I'm sure Rex is hoping that, that I feed his flock good feed, the right feed. And I felt a heavy burden and a heavy responsibility to make sure that, that I have nothing but, but truth to share with you today from God's Word. I really enjoy being able to speak to, to people. There was a time a few years ago there was a church outside of Delta, north and east of town, that was without a pastor for a long time. And I kind of filled in for them when I could with my work schedule. But uh, it's been a few years since I've done it. I actually went to school to be a minister at Taylor University. I started out in Anderson, took a year off. And then during that summertime, my mom was like, hey, there's a new Christian radio station called WBCL. It's out of Fort Wayne. And it sounds like there's a Taylor University campus there. And that's kind of how I found out about Taylor University, Fort Wayne. A lot of the old timers that I talked to, I tell them why I went to Taylor University, Fort Wayne. Well, no, I didn't think Taylor was in Fort Wayne. I thought it was farther south. Well, it is, but we had another campus. And the old timers, they, they remember the campus as being Fort Wayne Bible College. And it successively changed hands over a couple of years and eventually became Taylor University, Fort Wayne. But Fort Wayne Bible College had a really good reputation, you know, years ago as a very strong college. A, preparing men and women for the ministry, whether they were to be pastors or, or nurses or teachers. The people that graduated there had learned to serve the Lord. Now, one thing I have to ask today, one of my ancestors, my, one of my great-grandfathers, he died in 1753 in New Jersey. He was a, not a minister, but he was like a Quaker elder in their, their local friends meeting there. And uh, upon his death, some of the people that knew him well wrote kind of an obituary a tribute to him at that time. And, and one of the things was they said that he was very awful in his exhortation of friends. I hope when I'm done today that awful is not a word that you would use to describe my time speaking to you this morning, even though I think they meant that in a different way with the way they spoke back then. Uh, this morning, you can probably see in your bulletin, I titled my message, I don't like to give my messages when I do speak a title because it kind of boxes things in, but, but I thought, you know, it kind of fits. 
and I just had recently read a book by a man by the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he wrote a book titled The Cost of Discipleship, a very good book um, about his life as a, as a Christian. Uh, he lived in Germany, and when he was a young man, he went to seminary. Uh, he wanted to be a minister, not a theologian, but I think he was somewhat of a theologian. Uh, about the time he graduated from college and, and came about to where he was starting his ministry was around the time of 1933. And if you can imagine Germany in 1933, if your memory serves you from your history books, that is about the time that, that Mr. Hitler took over the country as their leader. And Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer started out uh, shortly after the time that Hitler came into office, and he had the opportunity to, to share a message on the radio. And one of, part of his message was the, the warning of, of the cult following that was starting to form after Hitler. And as soon as he started that message, the radio went silent and he was cut off. Uh, no one knows for sure if it was the government that was behind it, but most likely. But uh, his time in Germany leading up to World War II was a very turbulent time for him. Uh, he was actually involved with, a conf I believe it was called the Confessional Church. See, in Germany at the time, the government had propped up a church that was basically nothing more than a church that propagandized the government. So he started with another friend called the Confessional Church that, that strictly taught the truth and was, you know, talked badly about the government, which set him on the wrong path against the, the adversaries. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he eventually was part of the plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler, whether killing is right or wrong, We'll let God judge, but, but he was part of that. Um, eventually, he escaped to America. He attended Union Theological Seminary. Upon that time, World War II was still going on, and Germany and Europe were in the throes of war. Concentration camps were in full, full operation, and he knew what was happening there. Uh, much, to the, much to the angst of his friends, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was determined to return to Germany knowing full well that the German government knew who he was and that he was a very distinct adversary of theirs. And I'm sure you understand very well that, they, that that government tried to quash anyone that had anything to say against them. Well, he returned to Germany because not to bring down the government, but to bring the truth to Germans, the truth of Christ. He did it upon knowing that he would most likely be jailed and most likely put to death. Well, he returned to Germany, and he was there for a short time, and he was jailed, put in a concentration camp for a few years. Two weeks, two weeks, literally two weeks, before Allied forces reached the concentration camp where he was killed, he was hung to death by the German government. Now, to me, that, that is the true cost you know, a cost that I hope that none of us ever have to face of, of, of giving our life for the cause of Christ. But that, that's why I wanted to use that title. I thought, you know, he really, he embodied that and lived that out. And, and I think I could honor him for doing that and, and thank him for giving us an example. But more importantly, I'd like if you'd turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to, to Matthew chapter 16. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about the other disciples and 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 what it costs them and, and what it costs us. It's not about money. It's about giving ourselves.
And we'll turn to verse, we'll start at verse 13. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. I know me and Pastor Dan were talking the last time we talked that one of the professors that we had at Taylor University, Fort Wayne, his name was Dr. Wes Gehrig, and he actually was one of the men that helped come up with the translation of the New International Version. He wasn't the person, but he was one of them that, so we kind of, I know I kind of have an affinity to the New International Version still, even though there's other ones that have come out and maybe more, better improved, but that's the one. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, I tell you that you are a Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I just want to point out one part here, and I tell you that you are Peter. His name was Simon Peter. He was given the name Peter because it means rock. Now, that's as you turn to right there in chapter 16 to verse 24 and 25. And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. This is a really great promise that we have from Christ. You know, the, when he started out with his first 12 disciples and he called men, he didn't call men that wore suits and ties and had went to seminaries, you know, and studied the law and were very well versed with God. No, he picked, he picked ordinary people, didn't he? He picked people that other people in the general population really didn't care for. You know, Matthew was a a tax collector that pretty much had up to his own judgment what he could charge individuals for taxes. We know, nobody likes the IRS. He was kind of like the IRS back then, but he didn't have any guidelines. He could tax you whatever he wanted for your, for your items. And he was also an agent of Rome, which, you know, the Jews and Israel at that time were, were subjects to, the, to Rome. They didn't care for him at all. There were Peter and his brother who were fishermen, and I'm sure fishermen were kind of the, the grungy workers of the time. You know, they, I know how fish smells, and, and I'm sure they smelled of dead fish. They probably weren't the most pleasant people to be around. But you see here, Peter, or Jesus asked his disciples, you know, who do you think I am? And Peter, he steps up and says, you know, that, that I believe that, that you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. Jesus tells him that, that you are Peter. You are the rock. You are the rock that he will build his church on. You are the rock. Now, I wish we could turn over in your Bibles to, to Luke 22, and we'll go to verse 31. And this is kind of part of the, 
the Last Supper here. Actually, we'll start at, we'll start at verse 20, I'm sorry. And you can imagine, you know, this is at the, the end of Christ's life. He's gathered his disciples together for one last meal. We just had a, a really beautiful banquet here a few weeks ago. And, and this was kind of like a special time like that, like we just experienced together. A time when we can come together and eat and share and fellowship and, and learn about Christ. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. I, can, I can't imagine being, amongst, being one of the twelve there at that table. You know, this is a pretty small party of people. And, and Jesus just told them that, that some of you are going to deny me. You're going to be a turncoat and hand me over to the enemy. That had to be awfully uncomfortable. And, and as you can see, the disciples were asking themselves, you know, who, who's this going to be? Continuing on, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now it's interesting because Jesus is starting to talk about things that are going to be coming in the future. He hasn't, he's still alive yet, but yet he's talking about what's going to be happening somewhere in the future in the, in the realms of heaven. And I also think it's so interesting that, that uh, you know, if, as we study our Christian faith and, and read the Bible, and we start to realize that Christianity really grinds against the gears of the world in more ways than one. You know, in the world, we're taught, and, and, and I think it, it's just society, it's become the norm that we each are supposed to strive to be the greatest, the strongest, the most beautiful, the wealthiest, the most affluent. And there, there's nothing wrong with those things if you have truly attained those out of hard work. But when that becomes your sole focus, that's where the problem comes. And you see here, Jesus is saying, you know, even though I am the king, I am here to serve you. You know, I envision, you know, I know I've done it, been in the process, the service of of a foot washing. You know, what a way to, to lower yourself down and say that, listen, I am no Lord over you. I am here to serve you. I, I'm willing to, to wash your feet. Do something that was a very lowly task. Now, now, the world and society would say, you would be a fool 
to lower yourself down to a task that would put you below someone, right? See, the world teaches us completely opposite of what Christ says. And I think that's so difficult for us as we, as we yearn to be better disciples. You see, disciples means student. We're students of Christ. Now, in the Bible here, in the, in the books of the Gospels, you know, they're, sometimes they're referred to as Gospels, sometimes they're referred to as Apostles. Disciples are students. Apostles are messengers. As they learned more about Christ and his teaching, they became apostles, and they started to spread the message, just like Christ commanded in the Great Commission, not only for the 12 disciples, but even for us today. So continuing on to verse 31, here they are at the table. And like I say, it's just the 12 disciples and Jesus in the small room, this very intimate dinner. You know, I imagine that it's candlelit, it's dark outside, and you know, there's, there's food on the table, it's very quiet. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, this is Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not, may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. That had to be quite a moment. I imagine things got pretty quiet at that table when Jesus told Peter this. Remember just a moment ago, we read the words of Jesus when he gave Simon the name Peter, the rock. He called him Peter the rock. And now here he's telling Peter at the Last Supper that Satan has asked to sift you, to separate, to separate you from the rest, from the good. You know, I grew up on a farm and on a combine. A combine, you know, takes in the, the, the good grain and there's also weeds that grow in there. Well, it sifts. It separates the good grain from the weed seed. And the, and the good grain goes on and is collected and the, and the weed seed, the bad stuff, is spread out the back. So Satan is asking to take Simon and remove him from the good and throw him out with the bad. It's confusing because Jesus just told him that he was the rock, the rock that, upon which he was going to build his church. Now we can all, as Christians today, read about the 12 disciples and each of their lives and, and how they came about to know Christ and their experiences with Christ. And, you know, we can relate to them, you know, like, well, my career's kind of like his. You know, I was, worked in a factory and you know, I got dirty sometimes, and it probably wasn't the most affluent career, but it was my career, so I can really, really relate to this disciple. But for some reason here, I know I, I personally, and I'm sure that if you examine yourselves, you can probably start to think that, well, I'm a lot like Peter also. You know, I'd, I'd like to think that I would never 
turn my back on Christ, that I would never fall away, that I would always stay faithful, no matter what. Now, I, I'm not, this message is not about me, but I, but I share part of my life. There was a time in my life when I would have been like Peter, that I would have said, never would I have ever turned away. But there was. There was a time. You see, my first year of college, I wasn't living the way that I should have been. I was starting to study to be a minister. I thought I, I felt called to the ministry. But you know, I had, I'm glad that we all haven't had them, but you know, kind of that Damascus Road experience, you know, like Paul had where, you know, he's met on the road and struck him down and, and hopefully, None of you ever have to have a painful experience where Christ gets a hold of you and says, listen here, you're not living right. You need to come back to me. But I did. It's different for everyone. Sometimes he'll reach you with gentleness. Sometimes he'll use a firm hand. But I'll tell you, God grabbed me by the shrug of my shirt, and he put me against the wall. The night before Easter, 1992, I was on my way to Archibald. I went down County Road C and I turned north onto County Road 22. Well, there's a railroad track up there. If you go through there today, there's this beautiful viaduct that you actually go underneath the railroad. Well, back in 1992, that was still just a normal railroad crossing. I live a few hundred yards from that, rail, that same railroad today, and I can tell you, there's several trains that go through there on a given day, and they go fast. Well, I was a few miles away there on Kind Road 22, coming up to that, that rail crossing. And I had things on my mind, and my heart wasn't in the right place, and I wasn't living the way that I should be living. And as I'm cruising up, this young college student up to this railroad crossing, there were no gates or lights. It was just the old railroad signs. As my kids would say, it's probably like ancient history, but that's how it used to be. I'm sure a lot of you can remember that. And I come up there cruising up to the railroad crossing, and I look to the west, and I look to the east, and I didn't see any trains, and I'm just cruising right along. And I got maybe 15 feet from the tracks. And I look to my left, to the west, one more time. And I'd looked that way before, and I'm sure that I saw nothing. But this last time, I looked, and right there was the big front blue end of a Conrail engine with his lights flashing, and his horn was probably blaring, but he was coming right at me. So I was still a few feet away from the track. So of course, you know, your first instinct is I gotta stop. So I slam on the brakes and I had this little light car. And it, the brakes locked up and I could feel the tires sliding on the pavement and the gravel that was still there from, from the winter time for when they put down to, to melt the ice. But I slid on the gravel, I could feel my car sliding. And I remember just grabbing that steering wheel. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation or you have to beg God. You have to beg Him. 
to not take your life, to spare you, just for one more day, give me one more chance, please. I remember praying like that out loud, my hands just gripping the steering wheel. The next thing I know, it was like somebody took a bucket of water and splashed it across my windshield. I didn't know what it was. I thought, what is happening? It all happened so fast. Well, I remember hitting my head on the seatbelt anchor here. I wore glasses. It, knocked, it hit so hard, my glasses got knocked off of my head and ended up underneath the passenger seat. I couldn't see very well, but I could see well enough. At one point, I looked out my driver's, wind, or my, my, my driver's side window, and, and I was parallel with the rail cars. He was still moving, and I, he was right there. And for a few seconds, my car was actually hooked on with him, and I was going along with him, right alongside. But in that moment, God must have heard my prayer, and he decided to give me one more chance. And he released me from that train. He spit me out, and he threw me out into the ditch, just like if his hand was on top of my car, he picked it up and threw it. If that wasn't enough, he threw it into a pole. The, the passenger side slammed into a telephone pole. My car finally came to a rest. I could hear the, the wheels of the train trying to stop, but I tried to figure out how to get out of my car. My door was jammed shut. I had to go through the passenger side. I couldn't see. I don't know if many of you, you wear glasses, and I'm, I'm blind without my glasses. And I couldn't find them. So I'm out there wandering the ditch and the side of the road trying to, to find out what to do. This is before we had cell phones. Nobody had a cell phone back then. If you did, it was the size of a shoebox, and they weren't very reliable. But I don't know how many minutes passed. When I was out there by myself, and I, I could probably hear sound, but at the time, everything was just silent. I couldn't hear anything. There was no one around. I was yelling for help, but it was like no one was there to answer me. It was just me and God. And I had realized that he was trying to, me, to bring me back to his terms at that point. Well, I was a lot like Peter, and I had that moment, and he got a hold of me. Fortunately, you know, I took heed from that moment, and I was able to start to turn my life around for Christ. I escaped that accident with only a good bump on my head. I was pretty fortunate because I don't know how many, I don't know the statistics, but I know there have been many, many people that have been in train accidents at that crossing and had not been so fortunate. But I guess that day God heard my prayer, and he saw something within me to, to give me another chance. Well, let's get back to, to Peter's story here in Luke chapter 22. And, and let's see, maybe if you can see yourself in Peter back at that time, and how we always say that we'll never turn our backs on Christ. But things come up, and, and we allow ourselves to get trapped. So here we are, shortly after Jesus is arrested, in verse 54, chapter 22 of Luke. Then seizing him, 
They led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and then sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. She's pointing at Peter, saying, This man was with that man Jesus that calls himself the Christ. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You were one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept, wept bitterly. Now it doesn't say here anything about, Christ doesn't say what was going on through his mind when, when he turned and looked to Peter. But I'll remind you one more time. Remember, Peter is the one that Jesus said, you, you were the rock. You were the rock upon which I will build my church. Right? And here he is. He just denied Christ three times. It's such a miracle that Christ can take somebody like Peter even though he denied him three times to his face in a time when he needed him the most, he knew that there was something better here. But this was the end. This was not the end for Peter. You see, we're, we're all like Peter. We deny Christ every day in our daily lives when we don't live according to his word, when we, we don't love others, and in doing that, we aren't loving God. It's hard for us to look at our lives and examine ourselves and say, listen, when you're getting ready in the morning and you look yourself in the mirror and you say, I need to change. I need to change the way that I'm living. Because every day I've been disowning and I've been denying Christ, just like Peter. But the miracle of grace, the miracle of it all, is that God didn't choose some theologian that wore fabulous clothes and had a fantastic job and expensive cars and, and affluency. He didn't choose somebody like that to be the rock of his church. He picked someone that he knew was weak. But then once he had come to realize his wrongdoing, that he could change himself and have a great impact for the cause of Christ. You see, Peter, if you remember in the Bible, he was one of them, he was the one that walked on water with Christ, right? 
He was there when Jesus came back in transfiguration. He was one of the disciples that seen Jesus when he came back after he died. He was there at Pentecost with Paul. He really went from this moment forward, after all those experiences with Christ, he went forward to, to witness Christ, like I say, after he came back, and, and to be a wonderful minister for Christ. To be there that day at Pentecost, that had to be amazing when the Holy Spirit came down. It's, it's just it's reassuring to me that no matter how much I fail, how much you fail, how much we all fail, there's grace sufficient to overcome it all. And just There's a video here I'd like to share with you in a moment. At this time of Advent, it's a very special time as we're preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ. We're celebrating Christ coming to this world. And remember, they gave Christ that name, Emmanuel. God is with us. It's when Christ, God, came to dwell among us. That is definitely something to celebrate. And it is something very gravely that we need to prepare our hearts for the coming of every year. Now we know there's going to be a time when Christ comes back again to take us all home with him at the end of time. But right now we keep preparing ourselves for Christmas time and and my wife and I, we went to Toledo for a little bit the other day and, and saw all the busy shoppers and, you know, they're spending time buying all the gifts. And I just hope that, that we don't lose sight of the real reason. Today's the first Sunday of Advent and we have time to prepare our hearts, to prepare our hearts once again to celebrate Christ. God is with us coming back into this world and into our hearts. I think the message is clear that the salvation of all cost one very dear life. I'm sure Mary, when she gave birth to the baby Jesus, she had no idea what was to come. As God looked down from heaven, he saw far into the future. He even saw you and me sitting here today in Wauseon. He knows, he knew what was in our hearts. And he knows that we're not perfect people. But yet he wanted to bring us close to him. And there was only one way to do that. And it was to start, it started with sending his son as an infant into this world to sacrifice his own life take on all our sin and shortcomings and failures upon his shoulders so that we will never have to face judgment for those things and that by faith in him we can have eternal life. Just like to close with you to reading you reading to you from Revelation chapter eight I'm sorry, Revelation chapter seven, verse thirteen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they 
who have come out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I hope my message this morning touches your heart at this time of Advent as you prepare for the coming of Christ. I'm very fond of Rich Mullins' music. He was popular in the early 90s, mid-90s. He ended up dying in a tragic car accident. But there was a, a video that his friends put together after he passed away about his last year of life, and, and he had been to Ireland and was making a video for his new album that he was getting ready to, to release soon. And, of course, you know, part of that is taking photographs and pictures, you know, for... Well, his photographer that was taking pictures of him had him out on the countryside one day, and, and Rich was kind of up on top of a big hill. And, he said, and Rich said, hey, how about if I go up there and I'll, I'll stand with my arms stretched out like Christ on the cross for this picture? He's like, yeah, and the photographer's like, yeah, okay, go ahead. So Rich goes up on top of the mountain, and he's, the photographer says, no, it, no, it's just, it's just not right. It's not, it's not quite right. Rich is like, what? You know, what's not right? He's like, no, man. He said, you got to lower your arms a little bit, like this. He's, he did it. He said, yeah, that's perfect. He's like, you look like an arrow pointing to heaven. Each and every one of us needs to leave here today striving to be an arrow to heaven, loving others, and in doing so, loving God. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this, this lovely day that we have time to come together in our, our busy lives, to come together with, with your people, the church, to worship you, to sing songs to you, to learn more about you, to praise you, to serve you. Lord, we thank you for this time and this opportunity. Lord, we just ask today, if, if there be anyone here today that, that's unsure about their faith in you, that, that you would touch their lives today or in the coming days and help them to find their way back to you, to faith in you. Lord, we, we thank you for the life of Peter, that, that he can be an example that even though we fail, we can still have success and, and, and serve you and be wonderful ministers to you and, and spreading your word to the world. We just ask that you'll be patient with us as in our shortcomings and our failures. Help us to see them in ourselves. That you will help prepare our hearts for, once again, the coming of your Son into this world and into our lives. 
as we, we see the imagery of, of your son, your baby, son, baby Jesus, and, and the manger as an infant. Help us to remember the cost that, that, he, that he paid as an adult on the cross. We just ask that, that you'll help us to remember that, that you are in control of our lives and that, that we are to bring glory to you in our lives and everything that we do. We just ask this in your name. Amen.